Welcome to the latest edition of the Ask Qubit About Analytics podcast, brought to you by Qubit, the trusted experts in analytics. Our goal is to cut through the jargon and hype around analytics and data science and share practical advice to guide you on your analytics journey. You can find us at qubit.com, that's Q-U-E-B-I-T.com. Thank you for joining me today. I'm A.G. Tan. Hello again. Welcome to the Ask Qubit About Analytics podcast. I'm A.G. Tan, your host. Today I'm really excited. I'm sitting here with Tim Corrigan, who's the Director of Strategy and Process Improvement in Qubit's Advanced Analytics Group. And they are experts in AI, machine learning, and predictive technologies. And they help our customers incorporate all of these into their business processes. Now, just a little bit about Tim. Um, I trained Tim on his very first day at Qubit, which feels like a million years ago. And I'm so proud of where he is today when he came to us. He was a new graduate with a master's degree in electrical engineering. And um, I'm sure he did not imagine at that time that he was going to end up doing what he's doing today. So welcome, Tim. Thanks, A.G. And um, tell me, did you expect to be doing what you were doing today when you started at Qubit many moons ago? Well, uh, well, to be honest, I, when I first started at Qubit, I thought that we did a little bit more of uh, the data science work. Um, but it was, it was really nice understanding, you know, getting, at, getting to build budgeting, planning, forecasting systems, um, and, and, and really starting from the ground up and, and starting with first principles. So when we had the acquisition of Big Sky Analytics, right, it, it just set me up to, you know, with my engineering background, plus my knowledge of, of just business processes in general and finance uh, to, to help contribute to the team. Yeah, no, it's, it's really cool because in some ways you've had that opportunity to, to grow with Qubit as we've expanded our capabilities and, and broadened our skill sets. You've been there and growing with us every step of the way. Yeah, it's, it's been amazing to see how we've been able to integrate um, advanced analytics into business processes today. So for my first question, Tim, why don't you tell us about an interesting project you've worked on since you've moved into advanced analytics? Um, perhaps you could describe the company and, and set the stage for the business problem. Yeah, th thanks, AG. Um, there's a bunch that come to mind, but uh, really one of the most interesting and, and complicated was working with a large paper manufacturing organization. And what they were trying to do is take the siloed business process, uh, processes and integrate them um, with predictive analytics. So a lot of the forecasting and demand planning that their teams were doing were offline and in Excel spreadsheets, and everyone was doing them slightly different. Um, so they wanted one system that, you know, holistically could go, go through um, all of their, their business units and pro uh, processes and, and have the ability for everyone to go in and plan. And that's, that's really where, where we came in, and we, we kind of took that vision and we made it a reality with, with our, our Galileo solution. So just um, in case anybody listening has not heard of Galileo, that's Qubit's um, predictive demand planning solution. And obviously there are other solutions out there, right, Tim? Um, but this is the one that we happen to use at, at this customer. And um, 
you know, I really liked the way you were talking about integrating the different parts of a business because I, you know, a lot of business are very siloed and sometimes somebody might be planning something in finance that really has, you know, is very disconnected from what's been happening, um, you know, in the operational side of the business. So is that essentially what you were trying to get at at this company? Yeah, it, it, it's kind of interesting. Um, you know, when, when we talk about embedding data science into business processes, you know, a, apart from, from the data, which, which everyone knows is like 80% of, of the project, a really big component is um, change management and really management consulting in general. So one of the things that, that's really important to do is kind of take a, take a, a survey and understand where the business is at um, so for us, it was going to all these different folks who, who have their, their own way of planning um, and understanding, you know, why, you know, you know, what purpose did their forecast bring to the table, right? What, what problems were they trying to solve? And, and kind of looking at that, each one individually, but then also looking holistically to say, okay, right, all these pieces are, you know, everyone has their piece of the puzzle. What, what does that puzzle look like, right? And are there too many pieces here right now? And is there a better way that we could put, put everything together? So that, that sounds very sensible, you know, to think about different pieces of the puzzle and hooking them together. But presumably they had an existing process that worked to some extent, otherwise they would not have become a very large and successful paper manufacturer. So was there anything happening in that business or in the business environment that was driving them to look for this kind of, I, I won't say efficiency, because efficiency just implies making things faster, but you know, qualitative as well as quantitative improvement to their business process? Yeah, so it's, it's kind of twofold. So it, it, it worked um, and it got them as far as they, they got, but they realized like if they want to continue their growth and continuing to buy other companies, right? The, you know, the workload would become unbearable and, and they wouldn't be able to, to keep everything up as they continue to grow. Um, so, so quantitatively, like their, their team was spending way too much time pulling numbers together instead of really thinking and, and trying to solve some of uh, potential supply issues or, or any, anything around the, the horizon that um, they could be planning for instead of just putting spreadsheets together. And then the other piece is because they were weren't using the most sophisticated forecasting techniques, right? There was a significant opportunity to improve their, their forecast accuracy. And once you improve your forecast accuracy, right, it, it allows you to operate a little bit more lean. So you can reduce your, your inventory and really plan for, for any anomalies in the supply chain that become much more challenging to do when, when you really don't under, have a, a true understanding of what your demand should be. Hmm. And so when the business is growing, um, you know, I, I guess it's a matter of trying to keep pace, right? And I'm just trying to humanize, I, you know, this, this growth in this company. So is it related to the growth of internet shopping, for example? I mean, they're producing, they're making boxes and packaging, right? And um, is that part of what's fueling their growth? So if you, if you look back and, and you look at um, paper products in, in general, Right. It's not only is it is it like your Amazon boxes or your pizza boxes. If, if you go into any store um, or go into a Costco, 
everything, almost everything has some sort of packaging in it, right? You get your, your fruit snacks, the, you know, the, the big, big thing of fruit snacks will, you know, they're, they're in a, a, a plastic pouch, but that plastic pouch is in a box, right? Your cereal right. box. Um, you have, you know, all, all sorts of frozen goods that all, all are boxed. So, um, your eggs, your milk, right? All of that, you know, comes from a paper manufacturing company that, that creates these products for, um, consumers to use. Right. And it's growing. Is it growing because people are moving away from plastic? Yeah, it's, it's growing because people are moving away from plastic. And, and I think as a, some manufacturing techniques get better, um, you, you can use paper for a lot more uses. And then I think that in, in general industry, not just paper, but um, the growth of, of the U.S. economy has, has increased. And, and that kind of also pulls up all the paper needs. No, that, that makes all the sense in the world. And um, I'm chuckling a little bit, actually, because you said, you know, paper can be used for a lot more purposes. And I just remembered that, that I actually bought some bookshelves that were made of paper and you would never know it was paper. So it's kind of cool. Yeah. I, I want, one thing that we didn't touch on is uh, it's a multinational uh, company as well. And what's kind of interesting is while a lot of companies are, are outsourcing and, and sourcing materials from, from other, other countries and maybe finishing the end goods here, with paper manufacturing, machines are extremely expensive and the manufacturing process is pretty difficult overall. So you have to be pretty sophisticated to, to put it all together. So that's, that's one area where we actually export a lot. Uh, it's one of the biggest exports in the, the U.S. So what these companies do is um, they, they take the different barges and ships that come into the U.S. that are normally going back empty and they get a really low price so they can distribute their paper throughout the world. Oh, wow. That, 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 that's fascinating. So for the second part, um, I like to drill down on some specifics. So maybe you can tell us a little bit more about some of the specific challenges that you ran into at this company as you were trying to deliver this, this end-to-end flowing you know, sales and operational planning solution or whatever we want to call it. Yeah, so after we kind of interviewed all the different um, representatives of, of the whole planning process, um, we tried to boil it up, like we said, to, to get to the final outputs and really who, are, who is this whole process serving and, and how is it being served? And, and ultimately, it, it's going to serve up the, the production plan and, and help us understand you know, what's going to be produced and which customers are going to be served at the end of the day. Uh, but before we got to that, what we realized is these different groups have different definitions of what they consider to be actuals and they, they potentially measure in, in different units. So uh, like one, like the internal group would plan in rolls, whereas the external group would plan in tons. And then the finance team would plan in dollars. So you know, if you wanted a unified view of the world, right, you, you, need, you, need, to be able, you need to be able to have conversions between all three. Um, and and that, that piece took, took a while, right? Because how do you spread $10,000 you know, if, if a finance has a top side adjustment of, of $10,000, right, well, what does that mean to the individual tonnage uh, below it? So there's a lot of discussion and challenges about what's the best way to plan and, and how do we uh, come up with one unified source of the truth so everyone can, can view the world the same. Right, yeah, no. 
I mean, that, that, that sounds relatively simple, but, but I'm guessing it wasn't just a matter of multiplying by a factor all the time. No, not, yeah, it ended up being a lot more complicated than that. Um, because, you know, to have the flexibility of, you know, it's, it really was giving some flexibility to plan in, in two units of measure at the same time. Um, and, and anyone, if you're just doing simple um, currency translation, right, planning in local currency and, and euros and U.S. dollars all at the same time can, can be quite the, the headache if, if everyone wants to see the numbers in real time. So we had to take some interesting approaches to, to overcome that challenge. Okay. And you mentioned that the actual data was being supplied in these different units. And then obviously people also wanted to plan in the units that made sense to them based on what they were doing in the business. But is it not also the case that in order to get to a predictive forecast um, or a forecast prediction for demand, that you, you really would need to get some kind of unified view of your historical actual data because isn't that the basis for which the prediction, you know, or the, the starting point for being able to make a good prediction? Um, so can you comment on, on that part of it? Yeah, um, and, part, and part of that unified view is understanding the unit of measure and, and the level of detail that everyone wants to forecast that. And, and then generally, I think we want to um, make sure that we serve the lowest level. Um, so in that case, that was really the demand planners who were planning at the SKU um, and week level, um, whereas the finance team was, was much higher up in a, in a different unit of measure. But if, if, um, if you were able to apply the forecast at the lowest level, right, then, then you serve the need of, of some of the, the other customers, provided that you have enough information to forecast at that low level. Right, right, right. So there's definitely a lot of detail and a lot of data there. And, and I can imagine there was a ton of data wrangling that, that went into to making this work. Again, it's one of these things that sounds relatively simple, like if I want to change from dollars to euros, surely I just need to multiply by the exchange rate. But, but as you say, the, the devil's very much in the details. Yeah, so when we met with this customer before we did like a, a, a workshop to determine sort of what the next steps had to be before we actually started the project. When we whiteboarded everything out, it seemed like a, a pretty simple source, right? We only had, um, we only identified three different data, data sources um, and, and everything should tie out. Um, when we actually went to, to pull all the, the data, we discovered that, um, you know, one of those data sources were, were really two, two different um, systems. We had another one that for every instance of the, uh, for every plant, they had a different instance of the system. Um, so instead of one source, it was really like seven. So by the time everything was said and done, these three sources turned into, um, you know, 12 to 15 sources. And then there was like a whole bunch of trying to use, they, they had some, uh, they had a, a data lake available that, that they thought that we were going to be able to source data from. But as we started to pull data from there, we quickly realized it was incomplete. And then we, there were some other um, reporting apps that they've created that they, they centrally located the data. But after talking to different functional units, right, what served, you know, what, what team A used to report off of was different, was, uh, didn't have the unit of measure that team B did and didn't have the definitions that team B, B had. And, and team C had a completely different definition. 
So part of the exercise, not only is it pulling the data from the raw systems and incorporating it into our data mart, it's also getting all the different functional groups to agree on, you know, what, you know, what an actual is, right? And, and with dollars and cents, it's, it's a little easier, right? Um, the way that the a finance team, uh, you know, what understanding what revenue is, is easier to define because that's what you uh, report to the street. But um, understanding what your demand is, is, is different, right? Because you, you could, your demand could be when you, um, you ship something out and, and you can invoice it three or four months later, right? Uh, someone might return something, but they return it because there was an issue with the product. So was your demand, like if you, if you netted those out, right, you, you could, um, so she show no demand signal when really there was a demand signal. So there's, there's a whole bunch of conversations that need to have, ha need to have happen um, to make sure that everyone's on the same page and, and happy with the approach. Right. Yeah. And that's the kind of stuff that, that you don't really understand until you start to really get into it. Right. Yeah, correct. So Tim, we've gotten a little bit, you know, I, I did ask you for specifics and you certainly have given me a whole bunch of specifics. Um, but let's kind of go back up to the top again. And, and can you describe how it all starts to come together and how that data flows to essentially deliver that business value at the end? Yeah, absolutely. So the first and most important piece is we hit all the different source systems and, and pull that data, um, manipulate it based on the business definitions that we have gathered and put it into, um, into our, our planning system. And then from there, right, there's a couple different touch points along the way. You start out, nor, um, it, it really depends on how your organization is structured, but what I've seen a lot is the sales team will come in and they'll make their unconstrained uh, forecast numbers and say, all right, so based on, you know, from months two through 12, like here's, here's what, you know, my, my plan shaping, to, shaping out to be. And they'll make adjustments based on, on different market intelligence that they know, right? So maybe I've, I've, um, I've won a couple of big deals with this one customer or, um, you know, I've, I've talking to this customer and, and they want more of, of product X so they can make some targeted adjustments that can't be quantified in, in the data. So, um, so Tim, when you say unconstrained, when the sales team comes in and makes unconstrained forecasts, is that unconstrained by what? Unconstrained by capacity? Yeah, by capacity. Okay, okay great. Thank you. Keep yep. going. Yeah, and I guess the other so one piece that I, I, I did forget to mention is that, um, you know, before the sales team comes in, there's a system generated forecast that they use as the basis of, of making their adjustments. So they'll get a look at um, what we think is going to happen based on um, leading market indicators and prior performance. So that really helps them out in their process. So they'll, they'll go in, um, review those forecasts, and then once they're good, they'll submit them to the demand planning team for, for further oversight and adjustments. And is the demand planning team the people who start introducing the constraints? Yeah. So, and, and a lot of these constraints are, um, can be driven based on, on some corporate, corporate initiatives and, and also some, some knowledge about really some high level capacities. So they'll, they'll make a, a decision in, uh, usually with the SNOP meetings to say, okay, like we really want to go after this business, uh, this line of business aggressively. And that may mean that we have to reduce this other line of business, but it's not strategically, it's not our focus area. 
so there's a lot of that uh, back and forth discussion that that happens, and then the demand planning team goes in and makes some um, adjustments to the forecast based based on all the feedback that they gather. Okay, so the SNOP meeting that's the sales and operations planning meeting. Correct. Okay. Not every organization has it, and it's called different things that uh, for different companies, right? It could be the ES, uh, SNOP meeting, it could be the PSYOP meeting. Um, other other people just call it like their weekly uh, production planning meeting, but uh, it's, yeah, it's different based on your organization. Okay. And, yeah, and then once all that's taken taken into account, right, then then you pass it off to your supply planning team and, and really do some um, rough cut capacity planning. So, so at a, at a high level, um, before they can commit to a plan, right? They they have some baselines that that uh, that they want everyone to meet. But then it's then taking okay, well, you know, I have a certain tonnage of, of you know five or six different grades, and I have uh, different machine constraints, right? So how do I how can I lay lay these out or, or really slot uh, for a particular machine to execute the plan? And we do this more at a, a high level, so at a monthly monthly uh, or weekly level, and then that's um, passed down to the individual um, master schedulers to, to break it down into hourly or, or um, sub-hourly buckets uh, for, for the purposes of, of actually executing the plan. Okay, and, and is that it, or does it also then go to <laughs> somewhere? So when all this is happening, now, now this is where the finance team comes in. Um, if you know so, so you know your your pricing based on your customers, and and that's how the sales team and demand plan planning team can um, make their adjustments and see what the revenue impact is. But then to get the your your cogs right, you have to understand um, two things. One is you know what machine are you, you know what plant are you going to run it on, and what machine right? Because different plants are opti uh, different machines are optimized for different grades of paper, and and they have different costs associated with them. So that's that's one component of of the decision making process and and feedback to finance and then it's also um, what's your preferred shipping method so all that information gets taken into account and it gives finance an idea of of sort of what you know what's the customer profitability um, excluding some promotions all right that's a that's a, that's elaborate like who who would have thought that much effort went into a pizza box <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's, there's a ton. So the final section, Tim, I really would like to hear if there are any lessons learned or advice you might give to any other company that might want to try and embark on a similar journey. Yeah, I think one of the most important pieces is, you know, trusting your team and, and bring them all together to just talk through the process end to end. And, and have a really good idea of, um, you know, where, you know, what are you guys doing well and where are areas of opportunity? And if you can think through some of that, right, you, you could save a, a bunch of iterations from outside organizations coming in to, to give you some unnecessary um, suggestions and really just streamline the whole process in general. Um, and then the other big piece is, is as you, you think through those pieces, right, think through the data that you're using and the data that the other folks are using and, and see if you can come, come with one, one source that kind of can suit everyone's needs. Um, and I think having those discussions and, and um, planning meetings would really help uh, for a process transformation. 
Yeah, I, I mean, the, the trust thing is, is, is so key. I mean, you know, having been a consultant myself for a long time, I know that going to a company where there is trust between people working in different areas, you know, tends to result in, in, in a much bigger return on investment for any kind of implementation project. So, so this particular company, were they already predisposed through their own culture to be able to have trust? Or was there somebody there who made a concerted effort to make that happen? I think that each organization, each different business unit trusted each other to get the job done. But um, sometimes they get so caught up in their day to day that they forget about the, the wider organization that they serve. And um, this project was I think, a, a realization for them how much they, they really interact and need to rely on each other and, and how some of their processes were just fundamentally broken. Uh, so it was an opportunity to fix them and enhance them. So maybe I, I, I honestly think that some of the conversations could have happened before us and, and maybe having an outside person helps facilitate and, and challenges some of the, um, the status quo. Um, but, but I think breaking out of those meetings really would have made a big difference for them. Um, in, in terms of their maturity and, and willingness to adopt the process faster. Yeah, so, so it sounds like they, they, they managed to figure it out and us being there perhaps helped, but they were also at some level open to it, which was a necessary ingredient. Absolutely. Oh, that, 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 that's great to hear. Well, thank you very much, Tim. It was, it was a lot of fun hearing the story. Yeah, thank you, AG. Well, that's it for today. Thank you for listening. We would love to hear from you. Do you have anything you would like to ask Qubit about analytics? You can tweet us at AskQubit or email us at info at qubit.com. That's info at qubit.com. Until next time. Thank you.